All right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone. Little Matthew McConaughey reference. Um, this is not Matthew McConaughey, by the way. Uh, welcome to Narrowgate Podcast. My name's Ben Hoover. Um, that's a way to start out, right? A, a, a greeting. So, uh, well, hello again. And I'm back. It's been probably merging into three months where I haven't done a podcast or even done a writing. I've been doing writings. Um, God, there's been a lot stirring in me in terms of uh, just combing, exploring, mining the the, uh, new discoveries of the earth there, of the earth of life. And yeah, so sometimes it's a challenge how to piece it all together and make it coherent. Um, but, uh, but on this episode, um, so maybe there's a little bit of a warning if you're listening to it around kids or not, or if you are squeamish around this, just a warning. Well, it's not going to be anything really explicit, but, uh, on this episode, uh, I am going to talk about lust, Pharisees. Um, sexual practices, not in depth, but, and, uh, what else is on here? Um, uh, inner work. Let's see, uh, what Jesus might have meant when he was talking about adultery. Um, yeah, so that's a taste. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some connecting there. Uh, so yes, I'm excited to do this again. You know, whenever it comes to doing a podcast, first off, I get, I get this, I don't know, there's this process that happens, right? Like there's this, uh, something starts to stir in me, I have some thoughts, they're not well formed, and I just keep um, clinging to them, uh, uh, chewing on them until they become something somewhat tangible, and then comes this process of writing it out. Then from there comes the, the, the process of articulating it through podcast form. So it can be a lot of work and can take quite a bit of time, but um, but it's also kind of exciting. Kind of. Sometimes it's a little stressful, but I, I am. I, I, like, I like this process. So anyway, uh, on, on that note, now I wanted to talk about this word lust. For some reason, I couldn't get it out of my head, get that pun, uh, and I, I wanted, because it has always had such a negative connotation, and then in some ways, in my opinion, it seems like it's been misused, um, um, mislabeled, certain certain sexual behaviors mislabeled, and, and I just, uh, I, I just really, it just didn't s- sit with me that is that is that what that is and do we are we are we mislabeling things and and you know out of judgment um you know because we feel uncomfortable with with certain ways we might connect to our sexuality uh, and so i really wanted to wrestle with this and 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 partly the reason why is because you know for those that listen you know maybe you uh grew up in the church maybe you didn't um, but, but for me, I did like my, you know, uh, background is Christianity, you know, and, and my faith tradition and, and I grew up in the church and sexuality was, 
was there were some great things and there were some things that weren't so great in the way it was presented and handled. And I mean, first off, I think in the great way, like I think the church started to wake up to the point that sexuality is this beautiful thing. Um, it, it's it's uh, wonderful, but at the same time, in some ways, it seemed kind of almost too elevated. Um, you know, worshipped in an odd sense. You know. Like, you know, it's this holy, revered thing, and if you veer outside the rules, like, you're, you know, in the wrong, you're sinning, whatever. So, uh, and, and, and just, too, like, experiencing, like, groups with men, and the way men would communicate their sexuality, that it often felt imbued with shame and judgment, and, and I don't think that's all across the church, I, I, I don't, I don't think that. I don't want to assume that. Um, but it definitely was articulated in such a way that sexuality had one lane and, and, and the way of uh, interacting with it, engaging it, expressing it. It was one lane. This is the way. This is how it was created. But in some ways, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm quite sure it's a little more expansive than that. I don't know if it's just a one lane sort of deal. Um and, and maybe I can go into that another time. But anyway, so, you know, I think just in my experiences in groups with men, like, I think fantasy would be called lust. Um, not that it can't be, but it, again, it's not black and white like that, um, or black or white. It is black and white. Um, but, but uh, so yeah, so, so fantasy, fantasizing sexual fantasy was would be considered lust in a way or uh, masturbating or looking at pornography like all of that uh was was called lust or even an affair or something like that and and i just think lust is a very different state and uh of our humanity it, it has a different operating system um and so so how that impacted me in a lot of ways those messages i heard was uh, I felt a lot of shame as a teenager in my adolescence when I would masturbate, when I'd look at pornography, and I'd feel a lot of shame about it, and then I, I'd hide it and, you know, kept this secret, but then eventually that, that secret, the, the secretiveness of that, uh, it, it would it would build to a point where I couldn't hold that in anymore, and then I'd express it, and then some people's reactions weren't the best. And, and even if someone were, their responsive was gentle and soft, there was still this message inside of, um, you know, how do you fix that? Uh, what things can you do to avoid that? Um, you know, kind of creating high security systems in a way to prevent looking at pornography or masturbating or, or preventing any kind of sexual activity that out, that were outside the realms of of a marital relationship committed relationship and i mean that just for me that's really messed with me and uh and i had little awareness and understanding of my own sexuality and what that was communicating what that meant how to connect to it um you know and obviously i was trying to connect to it when i was a teenager but but afterwards like what i've started to feel Obviously, part of this process was I felt so much shame and I feel guilt, and then I made this vow to the divine that, like, well, I'm I'm not going to engage in any of that or masturbate, and so I shut I literally shut that down for like over ten years, 
Um, some would call that like sexual anorexia or something, but man, that, that part of myself dried out for a while. Um, I turned it off and, you know, and then there would be moments like I'd be out in public or something and there'd be like a beautiful woman and I'd feel aroused and excited and I'd want to like kind of, you know, put myself in position to like interact with her and stuff and <laughs> it would just like take over me. And then I would, I would judge myself for that. Like there's something wrong with me. It's bad. It's evil. And, and man, all those labels that not just myself, but I think a lot of us encounter, even if you weren't a part of church, sometimes there could be those labels in some way. Maybe they're, maybe they're, um, there's an alternative way of saying it, but, or a substitute for it, but it just, it just would deepen and entrench this struggle. And, and this is where I feel like the birthplace of addiction and compulsivity come in, um, which I really want to talk about in another podcast and write about, but, but yeah, the secretiveness is what creates this compulsivity addiction. And we, we, create this forbiddenness. And then when we create this forbiddenness, whether the community teaches that or we ourselves uh, somehow um, uh, articulate that, arrive at that, then, then we keep pushing away, then we want it more, then we keep pushing away, then we want it more, then we feel this, <laughs> this shame, this despair, this, it's crazy. I'm laughing because it's like, it is, it's crazy, but it's also very, it's so real and people are so tormented by that, myself included. I had been. Anyway, so, uh, so, um, kind of a few years ago, I began to re-experience my sexuality again. I started to feel a little bit of shame and guilt, but I pushed through that to get to the other side of that, realizing this is like that the, the, my deep longings are to be intimately connected with someone. Like that's what I'm longing for. That's what this expression is. It's not this bad, evil thing. Like, you know, this is, this is a part of myself, I can't turn this off. So it's like, how do I navigate that and connect to it? It's not about disconnecting, it's about connecting and and learning about this this the sexual core of, of myself. It's 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 so vital and important to our humanity. We can't turn that off. Um or if we do, it can lead into some problematic behaviors. Um anyway, so uh, so yeah, so a lot of things were kind of deemed as lustful, um, or you know, and then there were there were these there was this one lane road of how to how to respond or navigate or express sexuality, and that if it was outside the rules, then it's it's wrong in a way. Um, but and and maybe it wasn't always so blatantly said in that way, but it was kind of communicated and communicated in the community that I was in, um, you know, like. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the methods or the responses would be, well, how can I, you know, you know, be a part of that? Or do you have, do you have things that will block you from engaging in that? And I don't know if that was, I just didn't find that as the solution. Uh, maybe it works for some people. Great. Uh, for me, it stopped working. And I've seen that when I interact with clients, that that, that method just doesn't seem as effective. So um, the other thing too, is I started to encounter with clients, like, learning about humanity in, in beautiful, exciting ways. Um, and, and this conflicted, you know, helping them connect to their sexuality, you know, helping couples who, uh, weren't under the label of married, uh, by the church standards, um, you know, who wanted to work on their marriage and, uh, 
you know, and it's like, well, of course, of course I'm going to help you. Like, cause it's beautiful. And, and you want that, like you want to be more intimately connected, engaged. And like, isn't that a marriage? I don't know. But it, you know, labels aside, it's like there were couples coming in or, or people just coming in wanting to better their relationships, wanting to better themselves, wanting to engage. And, and then I stopped, you know, it just stopped being a big deal to me about like, if someone were to look at pornography and masturbate and it was more wanting to deal with the shame around that um, and help them understand themselves deeper. I mean, that's, that's really the goal in life is we're actually evolving in, in greater awareness and consciousness and insight and, and internal knowing. Um, that is what uh, develops in greater ways our humanity and, and learning how to connect and be connected and engage in the world in healing, loving, um, gorgeous ways. So, um, so anyway, I, with all that said, I, I want to, I don't want to go in too much, but, but so, so where I'm going with all this is, is there's this part now. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you a warning here and disclaimer. So those that quote unquote, wouldn't say they're religious or don't read the Bible or whatnot, like bear with me here because, um, I think the Bible has been misused in a lot of ways and people try to convert people to things. And, uh, and I have to be honest, I am, my method is in some ways to convert, um, but not in the sense that, that, uh, conversion has been used. It's more converting in the sense of helping to look within of, of being more connected to our own selves, of learning about humanity, um, of, of embracing all of it, the pains and the joys. Um, and, and, and learning to express that out into the world, not in a destructive way, but in a way that invites greater connection and closeness and intimacy with all around us. So that's, yes, that's my tactic. So guilty on that. But, um, so anyway, so I do reference the Bible because there's so many beautiful truths in that. Um, some people take it all too literally. I don't know if it's meant to be read all too literally, but I, but regardless whether they're are just stories. These are stories that are communicating beautiful truths, truths about us. And they're written by humans understand, trying to understand and grapple um, the mysteries of being human and the, the meaning of humanity and what it means that the, there's this confliction and torment and uh, uh, mourning and joy and all around this continuing unfolding mystery of being human. So anyway, so I say all that because I'm referencing this part in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, called the Sermon on the Mount, which is when Jesus entered in the scene. Um, He gives this long diatribe on humanity, and it's so rich with, in a sense, what it means to be human, how to become human. So, um, so it, I believe this is my my theory on this. That I wonder if we're, the reason why Jesus was sharing all this was to turn people towards their hearts and not be so externally focused and pleasing, and which I'll explain a little bit later. But but it really is about um, becoming more connected to the self and not pushing things away that we've hated or we feared because those things have the greatest truths to them. Um, and, and, and I do believe that, that when we like literally 
quarantine and push things way off into the the shadows and the the dark recesses of the corner like those things will eventually start coming up um that because they're teaching us they're telling us something they're truth tellers uh they're they're communicating these undiscovered depths within our heart and even within humanity um so anyway so there's this uh, so he starts out with the Beatitudes, and I'm I'm going to talk about that another time because I love the Beatitudes and, and this linear progression of becoming human, becoming whole, accepting everything within, um, living genuinely. That's really the point. But, um, but he goes into breaking down several of the laws and essentially addressing the way that they've been misinterpreted and misused and, uh, and, and communicating the deeper meaning of, of those laws. So there's this one law, which, uh, and, and so the point of that is actually to draw people deeper, to challenge their interpretations, to, to articulate a whole different way of engaging in life. Um, so because the reality is, and and we all fall prey to this, is we, we are so externally driven, whether, whether it has to do with the divine, whether it has to do with loved ones in our lives, we become so hyper-focused on meeting their desires and attending to them that it actually obscures, it, it clouds our own self. And when we switch to living internally, to knowing ourselves internally, to living out of that way, uh, it changes things drastically. And, and I, man, I wish I could share how that all changes, but anyway, I'll stick to what I want to talk about. So, so there's this part in the Sermon on the Mount, and there's this one law that he addresses, and he talks about adultery, right? And he, he, which is one of the Ten Commandments for those, you know, I'm sure most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. There's, and there's all there's these ten laws, and they don't explain a lot. They just say basically, don't do this. And so there's this one one commandment that says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." And so, um, so when he brings this up, like basically he's he's trying to poke holes in the way that people have interpreted it, and reorienting them to focus from their behavior and f- being fixated on their behavior. To the, to, to the center of themselves, the core of themselves, which is their heart, which is where all of life pours out of. It's the, the fuel, the engine to behavior. Um, it, 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 uh, it's, it's the life source in a way. So maybe not the life source, but anyway, it's, it's the source of what drives us, what moves us, where action comes from. So Essentially what he's saying when he's challenging, and by the way, he's challenging specific people. So this isn't, so if we're reading this and we think, oh, this is about me. Yeah, kind of. Um, but only when you understand who it's being addressed to and why. So that's really, really important. So his audience is a people called the Pharisees. Now, I don't know much about the Pharisees, except that they were highly religious, pious people that upheld the law. Um, but they also generated a lot of other laws. And so they lived, so when you hear the term like, it's kind of sometimes passed around in the Christian community, 
is I'm a Pharisee or being a Pharisee. <laughs> In another way, it's saying that that's legalism. And legalism means that you're so focused on upholding the law and, and the behavioral, um, you become very vigilant about behavior and what's right or wrong, black or white, and that you end up, uh, what develops in ourselves is this pridefulness of um, I'm above others and I'm doing everything correct and I'm doing everything to please the divine, to please God. And, uh, and yet it's such an externally driven way. It's a veneer um, because there's what, what's, what's happening is there's this blockage to accessing the heart, that it's the heart that's communicating the behavior. And so, so Jesus' point is to get people to their hearts, to look within, because that, that is what is, creates destruction, that's what creates closeness, that's what creates joy, excitement. Um, and his point is to draw people inward and within. So he's challenging the Pharisees who live um, fixated on behavior, uh, feeling, creating security based off of that, of doing this is the right thing to do, this is how you live in life, um, and, and you know, basically demystifying mystery and, and, again, creating certainty. This is how you live in the world, this is the correct way of being and doing, and, um, and everyone has to do that. But, uh, but what was happening is inside was a very different world in in their hearts was something uh, completely different in operating in operation so Jesus is challenging them saying you know you think you think that you've you know that you're not committing adultery you think that you're upholding the law but I'll tell you what you fooled yourselves because inside is something very different um your heart is filled with it in a way um so Again, going back to the whole audience thing, this is really important. It's important why he's addressing it to them. Because the Pharisees, who thought that they were upholding the law, actually were not. Um, In their hearts, they weren't. He was saying, basically Jesus was saying, like, the adultery started in your heart, and you're committing it. And you, you may not realize it, but you've created these crafty ways of avoiding breaking the law. Um... And, and yet, and yet it's still present within your heart. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so again, the Pharisees that created this pure persona, I'm doing everything right, but were unaware that their hearts were misaligned with their behaviors, um, and, and they're actually veering away from the law. Jesus is addressing this. He's confronting this. Now, I think Jesus is doing this actually out of love, um, not judgment not condemnation. Well, if he's judging, he's doing so out of love. Because if you think about it, think about our own personal experiences when we're judged, when we feel condemned by somebody else. What happens? The walls go up, we pull away, the relationship is impacted in a sense that, that closeness uh, closeness doesn't continue or doesn't build or happen. Uh, we live in this uh, guarded, withdrawn state. So that wasn't what Jesus, my, my theory on that is that's not where Jesus was coming from. In fact, I think he was doing that as compassion and love, but still confronting. Um, because 
when when there's when it's done with compassion and care and this openness and not this hostile aggressive judgment finger pointing um it it allows the space for the person to begin to explore inside themselves what what really is happening so just another disclaimer on that so he's challenging the pharisees of look Man, you're not aware of your heart. This is you've got all this adultery going on inside. You've veered away from your own relationship. It began in your heart. So this is really, really significant. Why is he addressing with the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees, what happened is they took the adultery concept, right? And or the law, and they thought, okay, ha, you know, like we can't break this, right? We'll experience the wrath of God. Um, this is evil, this is sinful, you know, we'll, we'll experience the divine judgment. So, and yet at the same time, um, they, they created loopholes around that. So, uh, so in order, what they did is they created all these laws, all these, uh, well, they turned them into laws, but they created all these offenses that, that in their marriage, if their wife were to do this or that or this or that, um, and, and do this offense, which, the Pharisees would continue to um, amend and uh, and add more laws or offenses underneath this, or, or create these laws in, in order to divorce them their wives. Um, that sentence did not make sense. I don't think. Okay, what I'm trying to say is, they created all these laws um, and, and created reasons to divorce their wives. So, for instance, like if their wife cooked a horrible dinner, burned their dinner. Like, I'm, I'm, literally, this is what would happen. I'm sure there were tons of other crazy laws uh, or, uh, you know, offenses that they generated in order to, to end their marriage. Um, but, like, this was, this, was, this was literally a law, was if they cooked a bad meal, if they did something, like, even, even, even the most innocuous thing, they would create it as a reason to divorce their wives. Now, at this point, for me, all the questions start kicking in. Why is that? Like, why would they actually create this law, right? Like, why, why would they do this? Um, it, it, it's, that's fascinating to me, right? We can get, we can, we can get locked into the behavior, but, but it's actually the inner part of the person that is creating this way of living in the world and creating these laws. So why are they creating these loopholes? Why are they doing this? Well, think about it. They're married. Just imagine this, because this is where this is important for us to connect to our own humanity, that, that there's parallels here. So the reason why, and, and again, I'm not saying this is, this is 100% accurate, but the theory is, is they would encounter a woman who was, who was more beautiful, more desirable, right? The shiny, the shinier object, um, and and they would want that woman. Now, they can't go and just have sex with this woman because they'd be committing adultery, right? So, um, so they have to find ways to end their marriage so they can go and uh, acquire this new desired object. Right, so I'm saying that in terms, women aren't objects, but that's how they were treated. Um, 
And so, so the Pharisees created all these laws and offenses to divorce their wives in order to be with this new woman, right? So imagine that, that they were divorced multiple times. Um, and, and so, and that's, and I don't mean that, that that's bad. I just mean that they, they had several times they had divorced their wives for this reason. Um, so in a way they thought that they were, uh, being, they thought that they found a loophole. They thought that they were able to still uphold and were dutiful to the law. Meanwhile, getting their own needs met at the same time, which had they just gone and slept with the woman while sleeping and married, right, they would have violated the law and would have experienced judgment, divine judgment, possibly. So, um, so that's interesting, right? Now, this is what Jesus brings up then when he says that you've committed adultery in your heart when you've lusted after another woman, right? Now, that's an interesting term, lust, okay? Uh, and and again, it, the community I grew up in, it was kind of an umbrella term for a lot of sexual behavior. Um, and again, I think it was misused. So, uh, so the reason why Jesus is saying this, the specific word lust, um, is because that is what was in operation within the Pharisees. They were in this state that they became so dissatisfied in their own marriage, or maybe they weren't even entirely dissatisfied, but, but something got old. Uh, they hit this, they, they hit this, um, uh, it would lose its luster the relationship they were in, they'd find the shinier object, the other woman, woman who was beautiful, prettier, and they would chase after her. But before they could chase after her, they had to end their, their marriage. And, and this was something, this was a state that continued to be perpetuated. So lust, then that brings the question of then what is lust? Well, lust, and these, these, this is my definition, lust is this it's this desire, but desire that is turned way up, like the volume is blasted, right? And it's something that overrides, overtakes the body. Um, it, it literally is this, becomes this active impulse without thought. Uh, and, and the person feels it, and then they go after it, right? And, and, and then they encounter the emptiness of that, and then they move on and move on and move on. You can even call that in some ways like an addiction, if you want to use those terms. Um, but but so there's this continual uh, repetitious experience of trying to get needs met, and and really what that signals inside is that the person is starving. They're hungry. There's a need that is flaring up, that is communicating something something very critical, vital, important to the humanity, right? Um, but it turns into this it develops into this emergency, like I have to have it right now, right? I mean, think about, think about when you haven't eaten for a long time. Let's just say like you've gone five days without eating. If some of you have fasted or some of you just didn't have the means to eat, like all of a sudden, eventually your body starts communicating to you very intensely that you need to eat and you will go and eat anything, right? Like anything looks good, um, particularly kind of the the... Probably the stuff that 
is really nicely polished food-wise, like on billboards and things, hamburgers, ice cream, things like that. Like, I mean, we'll we'll eat anything because we're we're starving. Whether it's whether it's helpful to our bodies or not. Well, this is the same thing. That that the point of what Jesus was addressing is you've got something going on inside of you. You've got, there's this stuff that's stirring inside of you that you don't see. You're so caught up in trying to, uh, trying to uphold the law of do things right. And, and that's not the way of living. You don't realize that, that you, this, you're in this place where you're starving and hungry and nothing is satisfying to you, but you keep, you keep, living in a way of trying to satisfy something that isn't going to fulfill you, not in that way. So, Jesus is confronting the, the hearts of his audience. And, and, and so, again, that's why this is really important, is that it's really, who he's addressing to is the specific audience is really significant and meaningful. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from this, because we're human too. We can operate the way Pharisees do. I struggle with pride. I struggle with arrogance at times. You know, this guardedness against something going on inside of me that I don't like, that I become fixated on other people and compare myself to others and elevate myself internally and thinking that I'm doing things right and correctly. And, and, and yeah, I, I often get faced, you know, have to face that. Um, and, and so... And so Jesus is uh, sending these blatant, strong messages that that they're they're not aware of their hearts, that they really are committing adultery, they really are um, doing this. They're just they're just figured out a way of how to for themselves rationalize uh, meeting meeting this need, getting to this new woman, um, having sex with her, marrying her. Um, and, and, and leaving the woman that they were with, that they were married to. So, so that also brings up the fact of affairs, okay? Or adultery, I mean. And now adultery, again, I'm, I'm changing that term, and, and I'm going to reframe that because there has been this, it's been imbued with kind of negative connotation and judgment. So what I... Um, what I'm going to say is I'm going to, I'm going to address it in the terms of attachment and bonding, right? Like we're, we're wired in a way to attach with people in our lives, to, to develop bonds, to develop emotional connections, um, intimate connections. And so, so if we look at a marriage as kind of this intimate bonding realm relationship, uh, essentially what Jesus is saying with adultery is, look, you've veered away from your own your own bond with someone, your own attachment relationship, and, and began looking elsewhere. So, uh, so again, when we break down these terms a little bit, and we expand a little bit more, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Like, instead of just judging someone as, well, that's adultery, it's, oh, so you've started to, you've actually began in your heart to veer away from the person that seemingly you were connected to, which actually you kind of weren't, or there were some deficits in the connection. And so so you started to veer away and actually commit to the fact of I'm going to I'm going to go for this other person, right? So it's not this isn't about desiring someone else or fantasizing about someone else like that happens. 
it's 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 when there's this internal commitment of I'm leaving this person and I'm going to go start a relationship with this other person, right? So so there's a veering that happens. There's a turning away from the intimate bond that one has had. Um and so so and so what the Pharisees did is they they rationalized this, right? They weren't aware that they were struggling with intimacy, that they didn't even know how to do intimacy, that they were didn't know uh, what an intimate relationship even looked like. They just were caught up in the next shiny uh, outward appearance or beautiful appearance of someone else, and they thought, that's what I need, right? But I guarantee that once that happened, they would become discontent. Uh, they would feel an emptiness. They would that hunger would re- return, and they would start looking again for someone else. Because essentially, I mean, that's what it is. Is it's not like someone just passes by and um, and they're like, oh, I think I want that. No, really, what it is is it begins uh, even before. I think it begins even before we might encounter someone else is all of a sudden we start looking, we, inside we commit to the fact of, I don't like where I'm at, I'm going to start looking for something else, something more, something that will be more satisfying, and then comes the object. Uh, sometimes I think that happens. So, for instance, let me give an example of myself. When I came back from Ireland uh, for my month off, uh, what what happens, I started to feel really restless. And inside, what I started to do is I'm like, I just want to start buying stuff. And so I started looking and I started looking for things. I'm like, oh, I want that and I want that. And I bought that stuff. And I knew, I knew that there was something else going on inside of me. This emptiness, this discontentment, this restlessness, um, this antsy, angsty feeling that like something's going on and I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. But I, you know, I went out and started buying some things that that were pretty to me that I'm like, okay, I think I need that, convincing myself that I needed that. And it's not a judgment. It's just, that's what happened. Um, We do that. And so that's what I think was happening with the Pharisees was that there, inside there was already the existence, this presence of emptiness, um, of hunger, of wanting something more, Wanting, looking, and in this continuous search for looking for something fulfilling and satisfying, which is actually not the path, is this um, living in this place where we're constantly trying to feed the hunger. It's more listening to the hunger. It's more acknowledging that there's a hunger that exists in us, that there's an emptiness, there's a discontentment, and um, and and really allowing that to be there because it's dictating, it's sharing something very profound. So. The point I believe that Jesus was doing was was to help the Pharisees and his audience understand themselves more. Look, you don't realize that that there's something else going on inside of you. There's something more profound. There's something that's communicating. The reason why it's it's uh, manifested in this quote unquote lustful state is because you've got some needs in there that you're not looking at. And, and it's vital that you become aware of that. But you've convinced yourselves that, that you're upholding the law, that this is the right way, and, and, and then creating methods to, to veer around that, um, thinking, you know, thinking that you're in right standing, you're doing it right, convincing yourself of that. But you've got, you, don't, you don't see it, that you've just, you're, you're living in this blinded state and unaware 
of what is what internally is really happening. So I've said this many times, but he's 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 challenging them to look deeper, to look within. So the Pharisees, like any of us, can have a few reactions. Now I came up with three, um, but there's probably more than that. One, they could have just apathetically responded, shrugged their shoulders, and said whatever, and continue in their ways until maybe something wakes up in them. Two, they could become defensive and and attack Jesus, whether it's it's uh, violently, physically, or push back, or call him uh, evil, or say there's something demonic, which they did in Scripture, which reveals that they're just guarding something inside themselves. Or three, they receive the confrontation, which would be really difficult. I mean, think about any of us that get confronted by someone and and things that are challenged about our personality, about the way we live and interact and and how we impact and affect people. Like that's that's painful stuff. That's surgery. And and so but they the third option is they could receive the confrontation, begin the inner soul work. And unmask, begin to unmask themselves and face the shadows. Go from living in this externally driven uh, presentation, this this pure presentation to society to, man, now I've got to do this hard work. I've got to get dirty and look inside and face things in myself and encounter uh, encounter this hunger, this emptiness, this longing, um, and the and sometimes the inability to go out and just meet it right away. I, it's it's about listening to it. It's about letting it lead and guide us, but in a way that we're aware and conscious of it. Not I feel it and then I act off of it like like a ravenous animal. Um, so if they picked option three, then what if maybe they began to look inside, to engage with their internal self, um, with in an intimate way, and begin to realize, man, I feel this emptiness in myself that's contributing to this this um, struggle in my relationship. I don't know how to connect. I don't know what intimacy looks like. I don't know what vulnerability looks like. But it could be the, the gateway, the, the door into rich vulnerability, learning about a relationship and what it really is, not chasing down the next beautiful person, but that the beauty is enhanced. It grows within the connection of a relationship that that they are committed to, whether it's for a time or not, and so uh, and and that and that true intimacy is about seeing and being known, it, and 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 knowing the other. It's revealing our inner self to the other, and they re- revealing their inner self to us, and and embracing, accepting all that's in there, and allow that to deepen and lead to closeness, to deepen. Uh, sexuality or the sexual realm within the relationship. Like, now, obviously Jesus was not explicitly communicating that, but when you really start to unravel this stuff and start to listen and what what is psychologically going on uh, within the soul uh, of, of the audience there and how does that, how does that attribute to me or how does that relate to me? Um, because I've been in states like that, right? Um, you know, for the longest time, I had judged that part of myself that would look at pornography, that would masturbate, you know, I mean, because when I was a teenager, I'd be up all hours in the light night, looking and looking for hours and hours and hours and judging myself and feeling shame. And then when I met with now, who's my supervisor, who's now my therapist, 
Um, and I brought that up and I, you know, all he said, he said to me was, well, it sounds like you have a really strong libido. <laughs> and I, I laughed because that just threw me off completely because I was so fixated on that was so wrong. It was evil. Um, I did it so much, but the, but what was really happening was one, I had a high sex drive and two, part of the compulsivity is, uh, that happened is I felt so much shame and judgment and hid this and the hiding is what stopped me from learning from exploring oh what do I like what am I interested in um what am I looking for what's the connection right now I realize man what arouses me what excites me is the connection that happens between um between me and a person that, that happens between two people um you know this this loving exciting engaging encounter like that that's that's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm excited about. And so, um, and so now I just don't feel shame about the, the my sexual behavior practices. Like, in fact, I've it's deepened my awareness and understanding of what I'm longing for. The ability to talk about it, to process it in the moment, to to understand what's going on in myself and in the other, to learn from that. That's how we grow. And so, Jesus' whole point in my opinion, was to help them become human. Was, or to model and teach what it means to become human. Now, he doesn't spell it out, right? If you look through the Sermon on the Mount, there isn't this guide, step, step-by-step plan, how-to. It's not. Um, there's a lot of mystery in this. Uh, because, because when things get spelled out for us, we don't do the work. Like if we go, that's why I'm not a big fan of just workbooks. Um, because... I think the real meat and the real richness happens in the presence of intimate relationships, of growing, of encountering life, of experiencing. Understanding comes through experience, through the interaction of life, of taking risk, of growing uh, in that way. So that I believe is, in my opinion, that's my theory of that's that's how we grow and live and become more alive and more human. Uh, and so... Anyway, so that is what I believe is what Jesus was teaching. And so my hope is that we can get outside of these judgments of this is right or this is wrong um, or this is good or this is bad. They exist together. What is good? What isn't? What do I like? What do I not like? What's happening? What's, what is stirring in me? Like, okay, so I find another woman attractive, you know, and, and, and even though I'm in a relationship, okay, big deal, right? Like, what excites me about that, right? Or it's just a part of being human. Um, it's when we get scared about that, that that actually amplifies things. Then then we like, no, I can't look at that. And then we want it more and we want it more and then we end up doing it versus, wow, okay, that excites me. Wow, that that's interesting. Or wow, like, or even if we were to fantasize, like fantasy just communicates a need, right? Now, sometimes fantasy can turn into, I don't want to um, delve deeper, Um but sometimes, in a lot of ways, it's just the expression of need. Wow, I long for that. I want that. It's the, it's the uh, uh, imagining. It's this mental articulation of a need. And if we can embrace that and see the beauty in that, we won't, it, we won't run away or hide from it, and it then leading to further problems. So, um, so this is what I believe is the message. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is what I believe is the message there, that 
that when you look at it as who the specific audience was, why they were operating that way, what was compelling them to do that, and that's, that's where the meat is. That's where the core is. That's where the life is. That's where the change happens is inside, is looking and embracing and feeling that which exists inside and listening to what is really nudging us, what it really is communicating. And, and then going out and experiencing it and then learning from that of what didn't work and what did work. The relationships that failed in my life have taught me a lot. The, the, the experiences in life I've learned from, that's how we're meant to interact with the world. That's what creates the thriving, right? Not merely surviving and creating security around um, protecting ourselves from hurt and pain. It's no, we go into the experiences knowing that it could create hurt and pain or that it, there will be hurt and pain. That, that, but, but man, that makes life so much richer, so much more meaningful, uh, just alivens things. And I love it. And I can't live any other way, even though sometimes I will pull away and retreat at times and, you know, want to isolate. Um, it's beautiful. So, uh, on that note, may you embrace the deeper parts of yourself. May you be a part of communities that uh, um, de-shame, I should say, that help you understand and articulate the heart, um, that are bold, that are honest, that are transparent, that are vulnerable. Um, for that, will I believe, will lead us into a more meaningful, connected life. And so, um, on that note, till next time, folks. <laughs>